Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Galveston Hurricane of 1900. Here's what you need to know. On September 8th, 1900, a Category 4 hurricane, the second strongest designation on the current Saffir-Simpson hurricane scale, hit the island town of Galveston, Texas with a magnitude unheard of during and since that time. The Great Storm of 1900, also known as the Galveston Hurricane, was originally thought to be a storm of less magnitude. At the time, Galveston Island, a barrier city originally part of the Karankawa Indians' territory, was the wealthiest and largest port in Texas. 
considered a low-lying city with the highest elevation at 8.7 feet, Galveston had about 40,000 residents at the time. Residents of the island and mainland were aware of hurricanes as 11 had already struck the area, the most notable taking place in 1875 with a surge of 8.7 feet. So they weren't too concerned by calls for stormy weather. On August 27, 1900, the storm was first detected in the Atlantic and upgraded to a tropical storm when it reached Cuba on September 3rd. The National Weather Service reports that on September 6, 1900, a hurricane watch was issued as far as New Orleans after the storm continued to develop in the Gulf of Mexico. Moving west-northwest, the hurricane rapidly intensified and hit Galveston on September 8th. By around 9 a.m., the water began to rise to an alarming level. The Galveston News had previously reported rain on Saturday with high northerly winds. Sunday rain followed by clearing. However, the Galveston Weather Bureau's chief observer, Isaac Klein, began to suspect that the original tropical storm forecast was inaccurate when he noticed a much higher tide than usual. Klein left the bureau office and began to hoist hurricane warning flags. However, many people continued about their day. Less than 12 hours later, around 8.30 p.m., due to the high storm tides of 8 to over 15 feet with wind gusts over 130 to 140 miles per hour, the placement of Galveston proved no match for Mother Nature. Homes and businesses were quickly demolished. The storm raged for the remainder of the night, subsiding only around midnight. When the sun rose on September 9th, the destruction left in the hurricane's wake was staggering. Damages estimated at over $200 million, that's over $700 million in today's worth, and the recovery and rebuilding process took over 12 years. The Galveston hurricane remains the deadliest natural disaster in American history. It is believed that between 8,000 to 12,000 men, women, and children lost their lives as a result of the hurricane. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Sets. The hurricane's most dangerous blow was its 15-foot-high storm surge. After the hurricane, Galveston was completely cut off from the outside due to destruction of bridges and telegraph lines. More than 3,600 homes were swept away. Historians estimate that of the 8,000 to 12,000 people who died, at least 6,000 of them were from the mainland. Texas heat made the massive number of decomposing bodies a serious health issue, and funeral pyres were ordered. As a result, the smoke darkened the island for weeks. For comparison, Hurricane Katrina, the deadliest storm of recent times, claimed the lives of approximately 1,500 people. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact-checking is associate producer Crystal Dinsberg. Hello. And our very special guest today is comedian and filmmaker Megan Ross. Hi, Megan. Hi. Thanks for having me. So you were just telling us that your short film, The Making of, The Making of, an Austin short film masterpiece, just premiered. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yes. So back in January... Um, uh, Adobe reached out to me to, and asked me to make a short film and, and basically plan it 
and deliver it in 30 days on an iPhone around the mm. theme of community. Um, so I, I kind of got inspired by like Christopher Guest movies, like um, waiting for, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on? <laughs> Guffman? Waiting for Guffman. Guffman. I'm like, right. I was going to say like, got it. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for Guffman. Um, and so it's like, we're, you know, I bring together the, the film and music and comedy scenes in Austin and we're like, we have to do this project for Adobe. We can't screw it up. And so there's, it's just like the making of many layers of BTS of making of this project. Um, and yeah, you can watch it online um, on Adobe's YouTube. And That's I've linked awesome. it like in all of my channels. So. That's great. Beautiful. <laughs> Love the title. Now, <laughs> Megan, you actually, you live in Austin. So you're a Texas yes. uh, resident. And, yes. you know, you're. How for far better is or that? worse. Yeah. <laughs> How, that's about a few hours from Galveston, I'm assuming. It's it's yes. a bit far out. Yeah. Uh, n- nonetheless, hurricane preparedness important wherever you are these right. days. Even honestly. in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Actually, while we were delivering the Adobe short, a second that was the second Texas freeze that oh, happened. Unreal. Right in the middle of it. So it's like if it's not a hurricane, I, it's a weird like right. climate issue that are <laughs> that just like shuts down the city unnecessarily. Yeah. Well, maybe this will factor in, but we ha- we like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night? Um, I was thinking about this response because I listened to a, a handful of episodes before. <laughs> and She's prepped. Uh-oh. Most re- most recently, I'm going to take this in the liter- literal sense, night sweats. Mm. I am, this is like a new fun thing in my, like approaching my mid thirties where uh, like my, I guess my stress is now just like turning <laughs> going to into, bed with you. <laughs> it's going to bed with me. It's, oh. So it's like either, and some people, like I'll talk to doctors about it. They're like, well, it's hot in Austin. Like, is it your comforter? Ugh. And I'm like, it could be that it could be stress. It could be my dog is like a human heating pad, uh, well, a dog human pad, and (laughs) just lays on me at night. So like, jury's out with what source it is. It could be my SSRI. I honestly, that's what keeps me up at night, waking up in- Literally, yeah. Night sweats. Oh my God. (laughs) I really, you know, I get so annoyed when doctors are like, well, it's just hot. You know, like, yeah, I know, yeah, like, I know it's weather. hot. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't yeah. come to you if it was just hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not that much of a moron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'd go to the comforter store, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say I recently went to the doctor and I was like, my hip's broken. It hurts. And <laughs> or it's either that or my over ovaries are about to burst. And then they're like, I yeah. think you have tight hips. I think you need to stretch. <laughs> and they were right. And they were right. <laughs> It's just stretchy. Maybe you should stretch before bed and you won't sweat. Yes. Yes. That's probably it. We should all stretch more. I have a lot of back pain, so it's probably all related. So we're transitioning, we're transitioning, we're transitioning, and boy, is it hot in Galveston. And I want to- And it came at night. And it did come at night. Yes, the hurricane <laughs> did happen. It, well, I wanted to s- just talk about what Galveston was maybe like 24 hours before this hurricane hit. I mean, this was a very important 
port city. It had under 40,000 residents, which I think at the time is a a nice, uh, large... Yeah, pretty robust. Yeah, robust. Um, I always find it fascinating that, you know, how, how... the the population of the United States like at that time it was so small. Crystal, can right. you find out what what the population was and how how it compares to today? While yeah, that's a great or... question. Okay, so Galveston is a huge vacation spot. It's it's got beautiful white wooden houses. It's it's the crown jewel of the Gulf Coast, and it had electricity. They had a telegraph. They had a telephone. They had rail service. It was, you know, the the Gilded Age. Um, right. Happening spot. It was a happening spot. Yeah. Maybe the, Texas is the Hamptons of the mm, 1900s. Yes. I like Perfect. that. Perfect. Yes. That's, uh, that's exactly what it was. And this is September. Let's remember. It's, you know, the, the season is probably winding down. And I'm sure that there were a lot of people vacation. There were actually, I do know that there were a lot of people vacationing during the um, dur- during the hurricane. The the hotels had had guests, and it just kind of to spread around town that you know the waves were like pretty incredible that day. Let's go check them out. <laughs> wow! So more people were like, "This is the day to go for right. a swim." <laughs> I mean, if you dared. Oh, wow. Well, this is also just speaks to 1900, right? Because if there were different, you know, today we would have known, I feel like with weather, you have like these AccuWeather forecasts that are days out. You would know there'd be so much information about it, but this is like simpler times. Yeah. Oh no one was getting a text alert that yes. the waves are doing a weird thing today. <laughs> Let's remember no phones, no, no cell, cell phones. phones. They had exactly. telephones. <laughs> okay. Okay. Crystal, incoming, incoming with some intel. What do you have? All right. So according to the 1900 census, the population of the United States was 76.3 million. Today, okay. it's 336 million. There you go. I'm really wow. bad at math. Big time. I'm saying that's a 300 <laughs> percent. I'm sure yeah. that's yeah. wrong. <laughs> I think that's a good estimate. Yeah. So, no phones. How? Think about the mindset of the 1900s, where you just didn't know. You had no. I mean, the weather bureau, right? Was was in place, so there was people were starting to think about and starting to organize you know what when storms at least mm-hmm. like we, we need to start tracking storms and with whatever kind of technology they had but you didn't know like tornadoes i guess you don't really know now but at least we have some kind of well there was no like system. satellite it was all just like right more visual right it was people reporting like what like in other parts of the land what they saw you were, you didn't have satellite images of huge storm systems forming out in the ocean it was by ship yeah. in the research i was doing yeah it's by ship hmm. oh wow so it's like crowdsourced yes. weather report <laughs> right also, like, if reddit weather report <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and if you're a ship and you're through what you know you're going through one of the storms hopefully you made it out okay Right. Yeah. You know, at least so. they had um, some way of communicating. It wasn't like, you know, send a courier pigeon. Like, yeah. 
It was so, a somewhat advanced, but still, yeah. there was a you yeah. know less more of a delay. So let's start by putting up Willis Moore up on the board, okay. and this is from History uh, dot com, the dot com of history. The Bureau's director in Washington, Willis Moore, was so jealous of the Cubans that he shut off the flow of data from Cuba to the U.S., he says. At the same time, Moore told regional U.S. forecasters that they could not, on their own issue, a hurricane warning, and they had to go through Washington. Not a very quick or easy task in those days. The combination of blocking information from Cuba while also making it difficult for local forecasters to report hurricanes turned out to be deadly. So it's almost Why was like he so jealous? competitive. It, it, yeah. <laughs> like a fragile, fragile ego is what caused all of it. <laughs> a weatherman's fragile ego. Wow. Should we put, let's put it on the board. Yes. Let's like put that, that up on the board. And he was just jealous of their, like, what, that their flow of data was more streamlined? Like, what what's the jealousy about? Well, from my understanding, Cuba had set up a, a pretty decent tracking system because they are in the Caribbean, obviously. Right. So and, they had a necessity. Yes. And they were pretty good uh, at tracking uh, these storms. And I guess it was like a competitive thing to just be like, oh, the Cubans don't know what they're talking about, mm. you know, mm. that kind of. I guess, yeah, I guess it's like when, when like the ra- space, the race, the race for space <laughs> yes, in yes. the 60s, like maybe this is their version, like the race for good weather reporting yeah. or something, <laughs> like a less I- sexy race. <laughs> We're competitive, I think Americans are. We want to be the first in yeah. like all the mm. things. Are we? Yeah. yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, is this before baseball was invented? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that was an all-American pastime in 1900. Um, so we've got let, let's talk about the US Weather Bureau communication. Again, this is from history.com. Estimates of the death toll range from 6,000 to 12,000, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. Tragically, the magnitude of the disaster could have been lessened if the U.S. Weather Bureau hadn't implemented such a poor communication policy. When the storm picked up in early September of 1900, any modestly educated weather forecaster would have known that it was passing west, says Carrie Emanuel, a professional atmospheric science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Over in Cuba, where scientists had become very good at tracking storms in the hurricane-prone Caribbean, they knew that a hurricane had passed to the north of Cuba and was headed to the Gulf of Mexico. The Weather Bureau in Washington, however, predicted that the storm would pass over Florida and go uh, and up to New England, which was very, very wrong. I mean, they were just way off target, he says. The Weather Bureau, a predecessor of the National Weather Service, was only 10 years old and hurricane science in the U.S. wasn't very advanced. Galveston occurred at a very interesting time in the science of hurricanes, Emmanuel notes. The 1900 hurricane was a wake-up call that the Weather Bureau needed to have better communication channels if it wanted to keep people safe. The Galveston hurricane made people realize you can't play politics with with a Weather Bureau, Emmanuel says. If you make it political, people will die. Hmm. Wow, that holds up. Right? Wow. Evergreen, evergreen tagline. <laughs> no. 
and weird how it's still so political. Um, yeah. I feel like we should put um, something to, along the lines of just like lack of technology, but also something along the lines of like, like politicizing like weather. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Politics of weather, but I like politicizing weather. That's okay. better. Yeah, man. That, I mean, like that, that quote is like, I feel like I've heard like Texas lawmakers, like of this the last few years use a quote like that or, or like go against like not realize like because we had people die in the freeze where it's mm. like this didn't have to be happen but we're you know there's so many people who are like climate change isn't real just mm-hmm. you know this is a normal like temperature drop for texas in 2021 or whatever yeah i don't know that's that's scary that like nothing not a lot has changed <laughs> i mean right. technology has and it's like but behaviors yeah and it's mother mother nature right like you cannot mess yeah. She is in charge. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't you can't just like say what you want and like change yeah. the reality of what's going. <laughs> no. You can't give mother nature a talking to. No. Or like <laughs> a put you in your place. <laughs> <laughs> she puts us in her place all the time. <laughs> Megan, we're just trying to change what you what keeps you up at night. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to add a few things to the list. Yeah, it's your I mean, fear of imp- impending weather. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cause my own like Galveston hurricane in my bed. From yeah. <laughs> now I want to talk about Isaac Klein, and this is kind of a controversial, controversial like figure, which could on one p- some one side would give him the big clap which is our okay. you know, standing O for doing a good job. Or another side would give him the big slap. <laughs> I'm so curious. So Isaac yeah. Klein is the chief of the Weather Bureau at Galveston, and he lives there. And he is... He's he's got a good house and it it, it stood until uh, all the houses around it had gone down. And, uh, you know, he sadly lost family uh his wife in the the hurricane uh but his uh do- he his daughter survived and he says according to him that as the storm neared the the Texas coast Klein became increasingly suspicious of the weather convinced that a major storm was pending he decided to raise the hurricane warning flags atop the Galveston Weather Bureau building on September 7 the day before the hurricane struck he had noted that the sea swells were rising in size and frequency a process that continued throughout the evening and into the early morning hours of September 8th at 5 a.m., neither the winds nor barometer readings gave any hint of trouble, but Klein was now convinced that danger was near. Quote, early on in the morning of September 8th, I harnessed my horse to a two-wheeled cart, which I used for hunting, and drove along the beach from one end of town to the other. I warned people that great danger threatened them and advised some 6,000 persons who were summering along the beach to go home Im- immediately. I warned persons residing within three blocks of the beach to move to a higher portion of the city. In 1900, the highest point in Galveston was 8.7 feet above sea level, and the hurricane inundated the city with a storm surge of 15 feet. So that's double. Right, right. Uh, Klein and his brother, Joseph, uh, one of the several employees of the Galveston office, continued to report observations to the headquarters in Washington, D.C., until the telegraph le- uh, lines went down and all communication with the outside world was lost. Sounds like a hero there. Now, on the other hand... 
there's another narrative that is uh, being told. And this narrative was pushed by the, uh, the this this one where he's a hero was was pushed by the uh, the the weather bureau. You okay. know, he did that, his where best. Where he worked. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We all did our best. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. On the other side, this is from History Collection. The National Weather Service advised the storm was going to turn, but Klein wasn't convinced. He raised the alarm, but by the time he did it, it was too late. Most of the citizens of Galveston did not listen to the warnings because the only sign that, that a storm was approaching was the high tide. Even if a storm was coming, everyone thought it wasn't going to be a bad one. It would just be like all the, all the ones that they had weathered before. Hmm. Many of the people of Galveston blamed Dr. Klein for what happened. In 1891, he wrote an article for the Galveston Daily News opposing the construction of a seawall because he didn't think a major hurricane would ever hit the island. He tried to defend his reputation, claiming that as soon as he realized the danger, he warned people about the storm, telling visitors to leave and everyone who lived close to the water to find shelter in larger buildings at the center of town. No one came to his defense to confirm his story, and his role in the tragedy still stirs up considerable debate. Hmm. Wow. Well, we have receipts of him being like, no storm wall. There'll never be a hurricane. Right. right. So that feels very, yeah. And the fact that no one came to his defense and that the Weather Bureau was pushing that, like, he's a hero agenda. Yeah. And I feel like that's like 101 in like just like public safety. It's like you never say never, right? Like, yeah. Of course, freak things happen all the time. Like we have so many examples throughout history. So to say like, that's eh, never, we're never going to have surge that high. And then two years later, it's higher than you even thought it could be. It's like, let's assume the worst, right? That's why we're yeah. the alarmists. <laughs> yeah. And you also, you yeah. don't want your disaster preparedness committee to be going against more preparedness. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not a good sign. It's like, what else are you using that money for, guys? Like, right. we have the but the budget was proposed for this seawall. Yeah. How do we I, say? I, what do we term? I think that maybe it's like a laissez-faire like approach to science. Yeah, <laughs> or or just like storm prep. You know, like what's yeah? It's like, it's like not being the not being on the defense. Uh, it, it's, it's making me think of like when people have been warning about this pandemic coming and then we're just like, yeah, it'll be fine. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're eating our words. Um, yeah. I don't, just, yeah. How, what do you, how can we like, I don't know. Maybe this help. Uh, this is making me think of when my mom taught me how to drive and sure. she, who she, she caused me a lot of anxiety, but her. <laughs> Her style was you have to drive on the defensive, right? Assume everyone is hitting your Going car. to kill you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's how she taught me how to drive, right? And that says that's a lot. also how I was raised to drive. <laughs> and, I feel, and it's funny because like, I feel like my mom was warning me about drivers who are as bad at driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, right. Everyone's a first-time driver. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe but, it's like a will be fine kind of like will be fine attitude, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's, it's the opposite of defensive driving. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. don't worry about it. Like you're going to be fine. You got yeah. this. And it's like, no, you should maybe think about it a little bit more. It yeah. I love been... Rebecca's 
information uh-huh. about like all of a sudden he's like oh let me um fix this and run down yeah. and that was his fix was going down to the beach where people like play a set were drunk and hanging let me out. show face yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me fix this but yeah I, in some way I guess to like argue the other side like I do feel like he was that person riding on the horse that we picture like delivering the news right the mm-hmm. town crier so I do picture I, I don't know like I kind of feel like I don't know why I'm feeling like so like defensive of him, but I just you get it. Yeah, we get that. it. You're a Klein supporter. <laughs> sure. I am. I already am. Okay. I already know who the problem is in this one. I'm like ready. <laughs> oh. Okay. 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 Well, well, let's let's we we've got Isaac up on the board, right? And then let yes. let's see what else. Let's put up relying on ship reports, right? We talked yeah. about this briefly. NPR said forecasting his was primitive in those days. They relied on spotty reports from ships in the Gulf of Mexico. Citizens of Galveston could see the storm was brewing offshore, but had no idea that it was a monster. Everyone went about their usual tasks until about 11 a.m. when my brother Jacob and our cousin Alan Brooks came from the beach with the report that the Gulf was very rough and the tide very high. Remembered Catherine Vetter, uh, Catherine Vetter Pauls, not quite six years old at the time. Her oral history and uh, and others used for this report are archived at Galveston's Rosenberg Library. Quote, about half past three, Jacob and Alan came running, shouting excitedly that the Gulf looked like a gray, uh, like a great gray wall about 50 feet high and moving slowly towards the island. How oh terrifying. God. So that is literally one of my recurring stress nightmares is just really? like being, being taken by like a high tide that just keeps. Like, I have the same I, I, dream. Yeah. I, well, I, I have... grew up in New Jersey. And so like my reference is just like the Jersey shore. Sure. And I, yeah, it's just recurring throughout like my youth and adult years. Um, so that visual is going to keep me up at night. <laughs> It's weird. I have the same. It's like, it doesn't happen often, but like, like every like once a year, I'll get that weird yeah. kind of like nightmare of just like a tidal wave coming to kind yeah. of engulf me, like trying to run from it. It's a weird. I don't yeah. know what kind of. I guess it's just a stress dream, but probably yeah, just yeah. stress dream. But yeah, the dream doctors would be like, ah, oh, it's hot. This know? is what it means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, impending doom or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine being. At, at on the beach and just seeing that that like 50 foot wave slowly coming towards yeah. you're like oh i think this is bad yeah yeah I, you just can't run fast enough no, no. oh god that, the, i mean the I, it's, water. it's proven in my nightmares like <laughs> no one ever wins against the big yeah. high tide <laughs> like you're going to be just engulfed um I am I am not religious, uh, but I want to throw something up on the wall. Yeah, um, which I like recently, like went going through uh, uh, like insurance forms and contracts or agreements. I I thought this was a Texas thing because I'm like Texas just assumes everyone's a Christian, but I've seen like the phrase "act of God" mm-hmm. in so much um, like insurance paperwork and and you know legal agreements. Which is so weird that that could be like a thing that can like be covered under or like a company could be defended against. Like if it's an act of God, 
Um, yeah, they'll call it force majeure too, I think, right? Like that's yeah. like that yeah. legal term, like a, an extraordinary event that like makes yeah, you like- that they couldn't predict. And it's like, what a catch-all, you know, for this company to not get sued for whatever they're about to screw me over on. But like, yep. right. yeah, like it is, yeah, I've noticed that because we get a lot of hail and st- like there's certain things that they'll just be like, eh, act of God. Like, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the dentist. They're like, act of God. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, do you want to put, should we put, so let's put act of God up on the yeah, board. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to put yeah, up the power of water that you said, Clay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? It's so true. Like, no, what an interesting element, right? Like we need yes. it to live and it can be like so delicate or it can just crush and kill you so <laughs> Yeah. Like it's so, it's like a very versatile element. <laughs> we take it for granted. Yeah. It's like with birth comes death <laughs> through, <laughs> through it's water. Um, yeah. You need it to drink, you drink too much and it kills you. Like yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like water. I guess you could say water. that about all the elements. Cause I was going to be like, yeah, it's not like fire, you know, where it's like fire burn. But then sometimes you do need a little fire to yeah. stay warm. To, yeah. yeah. In moderation. Yeah. We're just delicate mm. creatures as humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need just the right of everything. We just, just the just perfect a bit. amount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a dollop of hurricane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just Let, a tropical storm is fine. Don't 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 upgrade to yeah. a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I, tropical unnecessary. Just a a light rain. Yeah, honestly. So yeah. <laughs> and it's funny how you tropical sounds nice. Like tropical. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that what you yeah. think? <laughs> it's like yeah, vacation. You know, <laughs> vacation <natural> disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have to put up Galveston's elevation because okay. this was a huge. Uh, contributor. This is from Britannica. The storm's tides, storm surges of eight to five, 15 feet and winds at more than 130 miles per hour were too much for the low lying city. Homes and businesses were easily demolished by the water and wind. This is from NPR. Oh, it was an awful thing. You want me to tell you, but no tongue can tell it. Recalled Annie McCullough. She was about 22 years old in 1900. Her family was on a mule-drawn wagon trying to escape the rising tide. Survivors wrote of wind that sounded like a thousand little devils shrieking and whistling. Of six-foot waves coming down Broadway Avenue. uh, Of a grand piano riding the crest of one. That's crazy. Of slate shingles turned into whirling saw blades and of streetcar tracks becoming waterborne battering rams that tore apart houses. The animals tried to swim to safety and the frightened squawking chickens were roost, uh, ro- roosting everywhere they could to get above, to get above water. Paul's remembered people from homes already demolished were beginning to drift into our house, which still stood starkly against the increasing fury of the wind and water. So a lot of people just once their houses were torn apart, tried to hold on to debris, mm. but they they would then slam into more. Right houses and more debris, and a lot of people just lost their footing and drowned that way. They just couldn't hold on for any longer or were crushed or were, you know, somehow knocked out and then would fall into the water and, and drown. Seems really scary. Make... Go ahead. 
I don't want to make light of it, but it's very much when you were talking, you remember the Titanic scene that everybody romanticizes of like Rose and whatever Leo's yeah. name was, mm-hmm. Jack, when they're like having that romantic <laughs> moment. That is not what this is, right? Like, right. you know, yeah. like the movies made it all glamorous or whatever. Like, this is terrifying. What you read yes. was like bone chilling. Like my mouth, even though I did the reason, like the mouth, my mouth was open hearing yes. you read it. And just thinking about the elevation, like why? Okay. So I know we were talking about Isaac with the seawall, but I'm like, why were houses not after the 11 hurricanes they had already experienced? Like, why was elevation not raised sooner? Right. Right. Like, that's weird to me. Yeah. This is a big thing in Texas because um, during Hurricane Harvey, I had recently moved here when Hurricane Harvey happened. And it was revealed that there were like a lot of um, housing that was built in a flood zone knowingly. Mm -hmm. And I listened to a podcast on it. I don't know all the details, but basically like uh, Houston wouldn't have this information and it would just, it would get politicized. So it'd be like the weather people against the lawmakers, against the, you know, builders and Mm -hmm. realtors and all this stuff. And so what ends up happening is like these people are allowed to live in what is a known flood zone. Mm. And then a a hurricane like Hurricane Harvey, which was really bad back, you know, 2016 or 17 happens and, and then it's like, well, you know, can we learn yeah. from this? And then usually they don't do a ton after. I don't know. I, I'm speaking broadly, but I just remember that's like a big thing. Flood zones, the zoning where you're willing to build to get, you know, rich off of like whatever housing yeah. uh, developments yeah. that they can just like churn into um, condos quickly. We had the similar issue here in California with flood zones, but also fire zones. Yes. And there's mm. a big debate about whether they sh- people developers should be allowed to even build in these fire zones and these ple- houses i mean i have some friends like they can't even get homeowners insurance because oh, they have wow. to like buy this weird insurance it's like it's like a foreign insurance that's crazy high because it's like yeah. your house is going to burn down like <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh but it's like yeah it's a fight between like the developers and mm-hmm. you know like we need more housing you know like, like it's a problem yeah. like, we need to build more housing but like should we really be building housing in these really um volatile zones so I, don't, I mean i don't know mm-hmm. the solution but mm-hmm. i don't know yeah i think it goes back to what we were discussing the laissez-faire just added mm-hmm. to right. about uh, acts of god <laughs> right just be yeah. like ah you know hopefully not in my on you know in my time right and i think yeah. to crystal's point too what was really scary about this hearing you read that rebecca is that um a lot of these people thought it was going to be like just like another storm like they've already experienced. So yeah. imagine you're like in your house at night and you're like hearing the winds pick up and the and you're like, oh, this is getting a little scary. Like imagine like it gets to the point where you're like, oh, this is not like we've experienced before. Like that must have been so many people must have been just truly underprepared. Yes. For what yes. was coming their way. The shrieking devils. When you when you said that, I was oh, like, oh God. Yeah, I and know then, exactly what that is. Oh God! Can't, you, you can hear exactly it. If, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you can hear it if just like it's imagine haunting. it. Well, and then the, the line like a tongue couldn't tell, you know, like and then she yes. begins to tell the story. I imagine she was like smoking a cigarette. This like poor survivor, <laughs> like she, she's like, oh, let me don't get me started on that hurricane. <laughs> but it is, yeah, what like so frightening. I yeah. feel like that's one of the scariest ways to go because you're just like. There's just no, like, how do you even, there's nowhere to go. Um, 
there's nowhere to go. It's just like yes. you try to grab onto something like you're against these huge, you know, uh, like waves and, and like, it's just, it's elements yeah. that you have, you can't like shout at them like, Hey, please slow down or please like, right. let, right. let me go. Or, there's no breathe. reasoning yeah. with it. Yeah. There's no yeah. reasoning. I, I, I also, it must be one of the most terrible ways to lose loved ones. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. While it's happening, because I, so many people lost children and wives and husbands. And it, it was all it all seemed to be just luck and to, to feel like you're so powerless. Yeah. And you can't help oh, a child or. Yeah. And so many one. people, 8,000 yes. to 12,000 people. Think like about that's yeah. unheard. Like, can it's you imagine if that happened today? It's the deadliest natural disaster in American history. Yeah, I had no idea until I read about it. I was like, like to ha- for that to happen in 1900 yeah. is wild. Like, because I, I think of all these other, and I was looking at the stats compared to Hurricane Katrina, and it was still like eight times the amount yeah. or however many. It's just wild. I can't even imagine. Can't wrap my head around it. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to put one last thing up on the board. Uh, A lack of mass evacuation plans. Okay. Mm. This is from history.com. The bigger problem which Galveston would still have faced if it had been properly warned in 1900 is the logistical challenge of evacuating large metropolitan areas in short amounts of time, Emmanuel says. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans in part because of government negligence, not an inability to accurately predict and communicate the storm's path. Hurricane Harvey, which wreaked havoc in Houston, as well as modern-day Galveston in August 2017, was also well-forecasted. But without functional emergency plans for mass evacuations, cities still end up suffering from natural disasters, even if they can see them coming. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. scary, you guys. That's, it is scary. That's scary. <laughs> and also, what's interesting, too, is like... Uh, do you still have those people nowadays who have the forecast and decide to like wait it out and stay and like kind of like, you know, stand yes. their ground? I wonder in 1900 Galveston, like, oh, it's going to be just like a storm we've experienced before, how many people would have evacuated? Because that would have been a relatively new mm-hmm. thing, I, you know, you know yeah. to evacuate a whole town like that, like in the middle of like summer vacation, people might be like, eh, is it really going to be that bad? From yeah. Accounts I read, a lot of people were like, well, I just built this house four years ago. I think it's strong enough. Right. I'll stay. Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Did Were y'all in New York during Hurricane Sandy? Yes. Because we, I remember like maybe the year before was Hurricane Irene, where mm-hmm. we like overcompensated. We thought it was going to be worse and then it wasn't as bad. And then right. we thought Sandy was going to be like Irene. So it. I remember I was in Hoboken, New Jersey, which got like wiped. And I was like thinking about like just waiting it out. And then I ended up going back to my parents in uh, Hawthorne, New Jersey. And good thing I did because like my building was like underwater. We lost power everywhere. Like like if I took it as lightly as I did Irene, then I, you know, like I was like in my early 20s. I was like, yeah, I'll just get a frozen pizza. I'll be fine. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, but luckily like. I got convinced to go home for Sandy and yeah, it was, it was, yeah, we did not expect that. Images of like the East village 
underwater oh, were mm. like unbelievable. You're like, that can't, that, that can't happen in New York. Yes, it can. Yeah. And it'll happen again. Yeah. When, when given the choice, always run. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Get it's out. better to be overprepared yes. than to be in your yeah. shitty uh, rent control department with frozen <laughs> pizza and a crazy and no stove. Preach. <laughs> no stove. No <laughs> stove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I feel like we have a good board going. Why don't we take a quick break and then start knocking things off? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. All right. So who's to blame for the Galveston hurricane of 1900? Willis Moore, a weatherman's jealous ego, U.S. Weather Bureau communication, politicizing weather, lack of technology, a.k.a. no phones, as we like to say, (laughs) Isaac Klein, the chief of the Galveston Weather Bureau, and oh, we'll be fine attitude towards storm prep, relying on ship reports act of God, the power of water, Galveston's elevation, or a lack of mass evacuation plans. Mm. I Just right off the bat, I, f- I want to change an oh, well, oh, we'll be fine attitude to not being 
overprepared. You because like not what we were being, just talking about. Yeah, you have to be overprepared. So not being overprepared is a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like that's also related to lack of mass evacuation plans. Like a couple mm-hmm. of them can kind of go under there. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yes. So what do we want to fold into that? Because I think you're right. Like the uh, Galveston's elevation perhaps folds into evacuation plans, right? Or kind of a preparedness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not being overprepared folds into lack lack of of, evacuation plans. Yeah. I feel like politicizing weather also Mm. folds into that because that like we see that happening where it's like, oh, no, we don't need to spend the money on you know, right. preparing the way we end up learning that we do need to have spent yes. that money on preparing. That's a really big problem. Uh, and we've seen that in so many disasters. We saw that in the Nevado del Ruiz eruption that happened in Colombia in the 80s, where the government just didn't want to spend the money on evacuations beca- because it was happening so often. And mm. They were like, oh, it probably won't happen. So we'll just take that risk. And that, you know, that costs a lot of, you know, human life. So what are we folding that into? The lack of massive evacuation I think plans? so. Yeah. yeah. I like the specificity of the yeah. lack of these evacuation plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lack of technology, no phones. Can we blame it? No, you can't blame it. I mean, it's just they—they they were just stuff, delighted yeah. by like the beach, you know. They're like, "Ooh, waves!" I mean, there's just stuff that we can't or not capable of today that would yeah. save many lives. But eventually, we'll get there. You can't like blame, I guess, like natural evolution of things. But sure, would yeah. help though. Would have helped. God, I mean, <laughs> living any time before cell phones was such a dangerous time. <laughs> It I don't is know crazy how to think I drove about. anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, <know. laughs> I think about not having uh, like Google Maps in high school. And I'm like, I mean, I know I got very lost on Jersey highways, but I'm like, yes. how did I ever get home? <laughs> we had to take some, Rebecca and I, when, in our sketch comedy days, had to sketch comedy days, had to take some um, group trips to festivals. And there are numerous times where we would print out, remember it was like MapQuest? Map yes. And you would yes. print out. The, and so we'd be leaving New York City. We'd get into Jersey and immediately miss a crazy turn. And we're like, well, we're just lost now. Like, there's no way to backtrack. There's no way to, like, redirect. We were just like, we're just on a different road. And I have no idea where we are. And we would just not know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. We just would get to the show. It'd be like, oh, an act of God. Yeah. Act act of God. God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they get it, too. Wrong turn. Um, can we fold a weatherman's jealous ego into willis moore yes yeah i think that's part of his persona and i also feel like we can kind of put willis moore into the the weather bureau communication <laughs> the u.s sure weather. sure um, um what about isaac klein is he is he hero or is he villain it's too controversial, I feel. Yeah. To go either Yeah, I don't want to blame one individual because against like all of 
the hurricane. Like, I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are other people who are also like, yeah, let's not build a seawall. Like, I Mm -hmm. bet he wasn't the only person that was Mm -hmm. against a seawall. I'm sure someone was lobbying him, you know, lining his, I don't know if, if, uh, weather bureaus get lobbied by people. I don't know. Are they elected? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. But something you said just made me think of like, you're right. It's not one person against a hurricane. This isn't like a a, a rock movie. You know? It's like, (laughs) Um, let's see. The power of water. I do love that. I almost feel like act of God could fold into the power of water. Power of water. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. And I just yeah. feel like relying on ship reports that falls into lack of technology because yeah. that's yeah. what they had. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that leaves us with the U.S. Weather Bureau communication, Isaac Klein, the power of water, and a lack of mass evacuation plans. To me. Hmm. What came first, the chicken or the egg situation here? Because the weather bureau is the one that's communicating to the town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the town is the one with the evacuation plans. Well, mm-hmm. the U.S., I mean, they formed this bureau, right? Because they're, they, they recognized a need for it. There were storms historically, mm-hmm. you know, prior to this time that um, bird deadly they were lethal right so they formed a national bureau so it seems like that the fact that they needed one speaks to um a a level of like seriousness that they should have been taking when they're talking about towns like galveston that has had um i'm with you i'm totally with you yeah same i yeah it's like this was their job they they literally had one job and so yeah it it sucks when you when something horrible happens and so much death results from like communication where Mm -hmm. you're like oh my gosh this could have been so easy Mm -hmm. like if we just said what we needed to say and didn't like dance around it and got the information out because it seems like there was all these things at play the ego the like no the laissez-faire that like caused them to be like let's not do our job let's not communicate Right. And I guess if they had, I guess that you, you could look at it this way. You could blame lack of mass evacuation plans, which I think is something that they needed. If they had been communicating, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is a big, bad storm. You've got to get people out of there, but they weren't really doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Am I mistaken? No, no, they, they never got the communication. Correct. From. So that's why i'm kind of like okay so it's the communications the problem because if they had yeah. said it and then people are like eh, and they just didn't evacuate properly then you blame the evacuation plans which should have been in place regardless mm-hmm. but they just weren't getting the news people just thought it was going to be like another storm that's where my mm. head's at yeah so, but don't you just want to slap the power of water <laughs> well here's the thing i don't feel like like water are you too scared are we too scared of getting yeah. of water getting mad at us because yes. it's b- powerful <laughs> yeah uh, water i don't want to piss back. water no i don't want to piss water off like i've seen i've seen what it can do and i don't want to piss it off i know i got like super serious before when i was like i know who's to blame for Becca. yes but honestly that's why i was so 
adamant about it is because I feel like Willis Moore and his jealousy blocking the communication to begin mm. with. Right. Like I really want to slap him. I know we took him off, but I just want to slap him so hard because Chris, I'm like, dude, mm. had you I know I'm coming strong. Yeah. The first time, but like I really feel like had he communicated properly to the bureau because yes, they got the information from Washington, but had he not mm. cut off from his hate for Cuba, not cut yeah. off that communication. I hear. I mean, I hear that. It's always always nice to blame an individual, too. Well, how about we send the Weather Bureau to the alarmist jail and we slap Willis? We can back on the board. We give him a slap. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I, I can get behind that big time. All right. Okay. I'm going to call it. Willis Moore, you're getting the big slap. U.S. Weather Bureau communication. You're going to the alarmist jail. We did it. We did it. And TBD, whether Isaac Klein gets the big clap or potentially the backhand. Yeah. You know? I am very curious. I think it's it's funny that they, like, spun this story of him mm-hmm. being a hero. And then everyone's like, I don't know. I didn't see him. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if, if he says so. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't get the message. Then again, wouldn't all the people on the beach be, you know, not to say it so casually, wiped away. Like anyone right. who received the message, I assumed would not be able to, you know, say like, yeah, he was there because they're just gone. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to circle back with an expert for that one. But I know. Megan, I can't wait to hear what they say. I mean, I, we couldn't have done this without you. Thank you so much for helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the 1900 Galveston hurricane. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm. I'm shook by the power of water and <laughs> acts of God. I will never, you know, speak ill of water again. <laughs> Do your next movie will be about your respect for water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing but respect for my water. <laughs> In the aftermath, beyond the immediate needs for cleanup, food, and shelter, a central relief committee paid for the building of new houses and provided partial financial aid to families and business owners. Relief funds and donations also came in from various states across the country through various churches, religious groups, and labor and fraternal organizations. In all, donations were more than $1.25 million. After the disaster, Galveston lost its shipping port popularity to Houston. However, the remaining citizens began to rebuild the city and plan for future catastrophes by developing a new form of municipal government with a focus on recovery efforts. A new deep water council was formed, made up of Galveston's elite, and remained in place until 1960. The city raised the elevation of buildings to more than 10 feet, in some areas 16 feet, and a seawall was built as a reinforcement buffer to protect the island. The seawall was 3 miles long, 5 feet wide, and 17 inches high. Thankfully, it was in place when hurricanes hit in 1909 and 1915, which brought forth less destruction. During the 1900s, the seawall brought tourism and visitors who still admired the structure. In addition to the seawall built in response to the hurricane, Galveston installed additional drainage and sewage systems. Many advancements we now have. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In weather monitoring are due to the impact of this tragedy. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Crystal Dinsberg. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the murder of Scott Amador. Erios. Powered by ACAST.